in many of our relationships, we have had those moments where we have felt insecure as to whether or not we were loved or cared for, uh, whether someone believed that we mattered. We've had moments of doubt, moments of drought, moments where we've been overwhelmed by the idea that maybe, just maybe, someone may not have an affection for us. And we have thought to ourselves, how can I know? How do I know? And we thought that about God, and we thought that about our friends and family. How, how do I know? How can I be secure? How can I be positive of this? Last week, there was a, a rumor in the town of Lake Jackson that the new Tropical Smoothie Cafe was going to have uh, a grand opening. Grandiose, if you will. Just smoothies everywhere for everyone and on Friday, the first 50 people in line, when they would go through, would receive free smoothies for an entire year. This was a substantiated fact that at one point in my head was an unsubstantiated rumor. It transitioned into a substantiated fact. Awesome. So there begins to be a conversation at my house as to how we will secure said smoothies. What it would look like for us to get those smoothies. I overheard Hope having a conversation with her mother on the phone where she was explaining to her what we were going to do as a family to get these smoothies. And her mom said, I really don't know what to say to you right now. We were really into this. It was as if we were camping out for concert tickets in the 1990s. And I'm thinking through what it's going to look like. So I look at Hope on on. Thursday night and told her at 9 p.m. I'm going to go drive by to make sure that the parking lot is not full of people who are trying to get free smoothies. And that's exactly what I did. I drove through the lot and I told her, unless they're over in the HEB parking lot, I think we're safe. I wake up the next morning to go to CrossFit, but I thought I'll just swing by at 4 a.m. to make sure that the smoothies are still available. And sure enough, no one was in the parking lot at 4 a.m. I text Hope and let her know that, hey, no one's here. Don't worry about coming as early as you'd planned to come. And she said, we are already on our way out the door. So at 4.15, they are, they are on their way, or 4.40 rather, they were on their way to the Tropical Smoothie Cafe. And I was on my way to CrossFit. I changed my mind because who should ever want to go to that place? I went by Whataburger to stock up. I come back to meet my family in the lot. And this is what I find in front of the Tropical Smoothie. Just, yeah. My children, the Dusix. Shepard told me if I posted that on social media to cut him out of it, we reached that phase of teenagedom. It doesn't stop there. I started texting some of y'all. The Burns got free smoothies for a year. The Rodriguez family got free smoothies for a year. I texted Jared and Sarah, and Jared doesn't like smoothies because he hates fruit, and that's okay. I asked, if I, I asked the lady at the counter, can I order for Sarah? She said, no. I replied, but, the, but she has a baby. <laughs> so they gave her free smoothies for a year per my order. <laughs> How did I know that I would get free smoothies? Well, they came out and told us that if you're here at this time, you'll get free smoothies for a year. But even in the midst of that, I'm wondering if I'm going to access that. 
So I keep putting myself in position to get free smooth. Even more so, Hope, the Dusix, all of my kids, they got up early and they put themselves in a position to get free smoothies for a year. We are the owners of $2,000 worth of smoothies in the year of our Lord, 2023. There was a promise that they were going to come through on, but we positioned ourselves to know. To know. Uh, The central idea of our text today is that we can know the one true God because of Jesus. We can know Him. And what I'm going to ask of us as we come to the conclusion of 1 John today, what are you doing in your life to position yourself to grasp the depths of security that comes with that? What are we doing to know? Dr. Danny Aiken, professor, actually the headmaster at Southeastern Seminary, he gives a list of the things that we can see in First John. I'm going to share some of those with you, and then we'll, we'll break it down wicka, wicka, at the end as it crescendos and moves to conclusion. But it, throughout the book, here are things that he lists off that we can know. We can know that we know God. No, this, this is, that's my list for later, but let me give you his list. We can know that we know God. We can know that we are in God. We can know that it is the last hour. We can know the truth. We can know that Jesus is righteous. We can know that we will be like Jesus. We can know Jesus appeared to take away our sins. We can know that Jesus is without sin. We can know that we have passed out of death into life. We can, we can know no murderer has eternal life. We can know love. We can know that love, that God abides in us. We can know the spirit of God. We can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We can know the love of God's children. And it moves throughout the first four chapters to this crescendo when we get to the very end. And in these last few verses, we're going to see... What John says to us as to what we can know and why we can know it and the value of us knowing that. And I don't want us to miss that, what we can know. And here are the things that we see today because we can know the one true God because of Jesus. Here are things you can know. From verse 13, we know life. From verse 14 and 15, we know that God hears us. Verse 18 shows us as believers that we are not stuck in sin. We can know that. We can know that we can belong to God. And in verse 20, we know the Son. We know the Son has come. We know the Son gives true understanding. And we know the Son is true. And verse 21 reminds us that we know idols will cause doubt. And we'll get to that in a moment because it's a little bit weird and a tad bit obscure. But let's just begin to work through the text together. 1 John chapter. Five, picking up with me in verse 13. I have written these things so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have before Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. 
If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that does not lead to death, he should ask, and God will give life to him. And to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Verse 13, we can know life, or we know life because of Jesus. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know eternal life. When we work through John's text, we, if you've been with us for the last few weeks or if you've spent time on your own in your own personal study of the book of John side by side with 1 John, you see that there are rhythms that run from one to the other. There are phrases that are used that are repeated from young John who wrote the gospel of John to Senior adult John eating at Luby's at 4.45 in the afternoon, John. And the, and the uniqueness of the relationship of these phrases are consistent to let us know the security that we can have because of who Jesus actually is. When we look at the text, we see that John, that Jesus, said, John tells us that Jesus is the eternal life that John declared both in John's gospel and here reiterated in 1 John. If we are to know life, it means we know Jesus. If we do not know Jesus, we do not know life. There is death in everything outside of Jesus. No matter how morally acceptable that thing may be, if it is outside of the person of Jesus, it is death, it is swimming and swarming in death, it is opposed to Jesus, everything outside of Jesus is death. No matter if the political commentator that we are listening to agrees with our political views, if it is outside of the person of Jesus, it is death. No matter if the life philosopher that we have found to be so philosophical uh, aligns with how we believe life should be lived, it is death. Anything outside of Jesus is death. To be clear and to be intentional with this, when we are speaking of Jesus, we are not speaking of Jesus in the general sense that everyone likes Jesus because Jesus seems to be awesome. But we are talking about Jesus Christ directed. Our understanding of Jesus, if it is separated from that, is something that is ungodly. We have to understand Christ through the crucified, resurrected Messiah. That is who Jesus is. And if your Jesus or my Jesus ceases to be that, it is no longer Jesus. It's someone else. And someone else doesn't help. Life is in Jesus. Death is in everything else. Eternal life is promised by God to those of us who are in Jesus. It's promised by God... And then it is displayed in our love for one another. 
Again, John, cyclical language throughout the entire book of 1 John, running from theme to theme, back and forth, back and forth, showing us what it means to be connected with God in the person of Jesus by loving one another, caring for one another, holding one another accountable, building one another up. And we see this life belongs to everyone who has Christ the Son. And what we cannot miss as followers of Jesus in the year of our Lord, 2023, is this. Jesus provides God's better future for us in the here and in the now. God's better future has been given to us in the person of Jesus. Because what we are saying as followers of Christ is we have experienced all that God has for us in full right here, right now, in a dark world. That Jesus cares for us now just as much as he will in eternity. God loves you as much now as much as he will when you get to heaven. He has affection for you now. He has desire for you now. He has hope for you now. He is for you right now. Right now. Not only can we know that Jesus that can we know life, we also can know that God hears us. God hears us. And if we're going to be moving towards security in what it means to know God in Jesus, it means that we should be talking to him. If Hammer taught me anything in middle school, it was that you've got to pray just to make it today. So I do, and you should too. Effective prayer is going to find its foundation somewhere. So look at verse 14. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. So what does this mean about the way that I pray? It means that God wants to hear me in the pain of my heart, the lament of my heart, the grief of my heart. But if I'm going to be walking in the security that God has provided for me, that I can know Him, my prayers should be shaped by Scripture. It is lost on us that God has told us how to talk to Him. God wants you to have conversations with Him. And He actually tells you how to ask things of Him. Effective prayer is going to find its foundation in Scripture. And we, as followers of Jesus, we know that we should pray, and we can know that. And you can also know this, that God hears your prayer. He hears it. One commentator says this, prayer is the ultimate expression of our access to God. The person of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for our sin, crucified, resurrected, so that we could have the hope of God present in our lives, so that we can know God's better future. Now, because of Jesus, we have access to God where He hears you. You don't need a go-between. You don't need a priest. Because the scriptures say that you are a high priest. You don't need to come by the office and talk to me. Though, feel free to come by the office and talk to me. 
If Marty's here, she'll give you some chores to do around the building. It'll be great for all of us. God hears our prayers. He hears us. Because He hears us, we're able to sing things about boldly approaching His throne with confidence. Simultaneously, we can pray with confidence. Because in the person of Jesus, we see God has made this... He's made our prayers acceptable. He's made God accessible. And we see these things that in Jesus, our prayer, our prayer, because we are in Jesus, we can know that we stand where heaven meets earth. In the person of Christ, descending to be one, his incarnation. We know that we are encouraged to, to pull the blessing of heaven into the life of earth. So we as followers of Jesus are living in a world where we should be kingdom representatives and the way that we would represent Christ the, the best is by interacting with him so that our lives would have an influence that is the most spread out. We want to make sure that we're considering that. And we know that our, our requests are going to receive response. God hears you. God loves you. God cares for you. God is for you. Now, it may not be the response that you expect, but there is a response coming for us when we interact with the Lord. Verse 15, And if we know that He hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have, we know that we have, what we have asked of Him. We know that God has a response for us that exists outside of time and meets us where we are in time. God meets us because He loves us. And I, yeah, I know this room well enough to know that some of us are still processing, interacting with the Lord, asking Him to do something, to meet needs that need to be met, praying that God would help our hearts to be healed. He has not stopped being for you. Your circumstances and your situations, they may not be, they were never for you. But He is always for you. As a father, you tell kids things all the time. You tell them what you're going to do, and then you go back to sleep in the chair. You wake up later. When you wake up later, they are wondering things like, hey, you said we were going to play basketball. You said that we were going to play PlayStation. You said we were going to go. It's always go. They always want to go places. You told us this. And you secure that by doing the thing that you said you would do. God will always do what he said he will do. Verse 16. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that does not lead to death. This phrase is unique and I want us to be careful with it. He should ask and God will give life to him. To those who commit sin that does not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. When we're discussing the sin that leads to death, this is a general sense. The sin that leads to death that is any sin that is not under the atoning work of Jesus. It is when you have not placed your trust in Christ, not placed your faith in Christ, not realized that Christ has called you from death to life, your sin leads to death. And for the believing person, your sin does not lead to death. Now, that doesn't give you permission or an access to sin. You don't have a free sin coupon that you can use throughout the year. 
God still wants us to run from sin, to flee from sin, to abandon sin. But for those, when we look at this text, when it discusses a sin that leads to death, what it is saying is, if you are outside of Christ, that sin leads to death. If you're denying the crucified, resurrection, resurrected Jesus as the Son of the world, that sin leads to death. Denying that Christ came in the flesh is a sin that leads to death. Rejecting His atonement is sin that leads to death. Showing no love for other believers... Which means that we're just using the ushy-gushy term love to talk about what it means. It's this ethereal sense, and we don't realize the practical reality that comes with that. That is sin, sadly, that leads to death. If you are not loving God and loving others as God would have you to love them, that is not functioning as a Christian. Prayer, is an, it, prayer however, is a display of our access to God. Praying for someone reflects our love for that person. When we look at sin, it involves others. Your sin, my sin. Those sins involve other people. And when we are praying in a way that is consistent with who God is and how God would have us to see Him, our prayer should be shaped as we ask God to work not only in our lives, but in the lives of brothers and sisters. Now, when you see the word sin there, this also can be totally subjective if we're not careful. When it says in verse 16, if you see a fellow believer committing a sin, this is actual, observable, I watch this person do that. This is not accusation out of speculation. It's not making something up or making something up. That, that's gossip and that sin's not on them, that sin's on you. And that sin's on me. The sin that leads to death in this passage is to deny the, the idea that Jesus is the crucified, resurrected Son of God. Verse 17, all right, unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. All unrighteousness is sin. Kevin DeYoung, he's a Presbyterian pastor. Think highly of him. He says this about Satan. Satan wants you to live for anyone or anything that, does, that, that is not Jesus. As long as he keeps you from Christ, from the true and living God, he doesn't care how that happens. We feel that? Satan doesn't care about you. The accuser doesn't care about you. Verse 18, we can see this, that we know that we are not stuck in sin. Believing people are not stuck in sin. You're not. And if you believe that you are and you're a believer, you are allowing the world and Satan to lie to you. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Uh, the, the phrase there leads us to understand it as does not continually practice sin. We are recovering and recuperating from our natural disposition, but we will not practice this sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him. And the evil one does not touch him. John again takes us back to what he's done in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, when he said this about Jesus, which I'm very pro. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, he's greater than all. No one who is able to snatch them, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So for those insecure moments for us where we may not believe that we're a Christian, God says to you, you, no one can take you from me. But you don't know what I've done. No, I don't have to know what you've done to know what Christ has done in your place. 
But there are moments where I don't feel like a Christian. Our security is not in what we feel. First, it's in who knows us. Secondly, it's in that we can live in the security of knowing Him in response. What happens when I don't feel it? The hope would be that we're positioning our lives in places where the rhythm of walking with Jesus will find ourselves in it. That we will not forget who walks with us, who cares for us, who's died for us. You may have been in a Chick-fil-A at some point and you hear their version of Muzak. And they're playing songs and, and you kind of know the song but you can't think of it because there are no words. We sang one this morning that I heard at Chick-fil-A recently. And I don't know if the music version has sloppy wet or unforeseen. But you, you heard... And I'm trying to figure out as I'm eating my nuggets in Polynesian sauce what that song is. And then it hits me. Or maybe you've been in another music scenario where you've heard a, a song from Randy Travis like I'm going to love you forever and you don't know, you can't find out, you can't figure out what that song is until eventually it hits you because you're around it long enough. Or maybe you've heard Ice Ice Baby or Under Pressure which have really moments of the same song. And as it's playing, it hits you eventually what that music is. What we're saying as followers of Jesus is this. We stay close to Jesus in dry seasons. And we st stay close to the people of God in difficult seasons. We don't run away. So that the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing can be recognized even in the most unfamiliar places. Some of you guys have perfect lives, or at least in your heads you do. And, and I'm, I'm envious of that because that's not my life. I'm thrown off by my sin. I'm, un, I'm overwhelmed by it at times. But I stay close to who God, would, who God is. I stay close to His Word. That's where we find our security. I remember that He's given us family to realign us with who He is. And if we're running away from the church and running away from accountability every time we struggle with sin, you'll never be here. And when I say church, I don't mean buildings because this is a building. We used to sell groceries here. And then it was another church. And then we came in and we read it. it just, this is the building. And what, if this building shuts down tomorrow, the church of Jesus will still stand. Because it's not built on an address, it's built on a crucified, resurrected Savior. But let's stay close. When I say church, we're talking about the people. Do you have people in your life who are telling you truth with the rest of reality, even when in its best efforts, is telling you lies? 19. We know that we're of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. You are either actively aligning with God, or you are aligning with the evil one. That doesn't have to be active. The passive reality of living in darkness is still darkness. Following after Jesus is active pursuit.
What we see in verse 20, we know the Son. What, do we, what can we know about the Son? We know the Son has come. We know the Son gives understanding. And we know the Son is true. Verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and He is eternal life. Verse 20 takes us to John 1, 1, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is being as clear as he can possibly be. This cannot move away from Jesus. If this moves away from Jesus, it is no longer Christianity. It's not. But they're such nice people. We see an Instagram reel. All these people are happy. They're part of some big cult, but they're still friendly people. If it's outside of Jesus, it's not Christianity. It's just not. It's just not. Christianity is defined by Jesus. It is understood through Jesus. It, is, it has its hope found in Jesus. It's anchored because of Jesus. It's secure because of Jesus. And we will live in doubt and insecurity the more and more we move away from Jesus. And when we move away from Jesus, we are moving away from the truth of who God is. So God says to you as a believer, secure yourself in people who love you. So secure yourself in me as you get to know those people. 21. The culmination of all of this is verse 21, which is just a weird verse. John's been talking about true and belonging and love. And the very last thing that he says to us is verse 21. Little children... Guard yourselves from idols. Idols hasn't been mentioned for the whole book. Why are we talking about idols? It's puzzling. He's not talking about it in any way, shape, or form. What is an idol? Let's, let's define it. An image or representation of God used as an object of worship. That's what we think of when we think of idols. If you have church history, you think of Baal. If you've been around the church, you've ever read through the old... That's, that's, the, that's a big one. Or, or maybe you have other idols that you go to. Maybe if you're a Survivor fan, you know there's an immunity idol. If you like bad karaoke, there's an American idol. Some of it's good. An image or representation of God uses an object of worship. One of our church members shared on her Instagram the other day uh, a quote that I loved. And I actually put it in your life group resources. If you go to life groups, you should. Anything you draw your strength from besides God is an idol. Idol is an all-encompassing idea that goes far beyond how we get our immunity from Jeff Probst. Idols include things that lead to lie and error and hate and rebellion. Idols are working counterpoint to all of the true belonging love that First John has been talking to us about throughout his book. 
Idolatry can, be, idolatry can be understood as following a flawed understanding of Jesus. To follow a flawed understanding of Jesus, that's an idol. Because that's a false Jesus. And what false Jesus does, faux Jesus, if you will, he will always think exactly what you think. Come to the conclusion that you come to. False Jesus will do what you would do. He will act how you would act. He will read what you would read. He will watch what you would watch. He will be who you would be. Because the primary false idol for all of us stares us in, at, our, us, at us in the mirror. That leads us toward death. And it's moving away from the secure life that God has offered to his people. It's us as believing people whose salvation cannot be removed from us by any person. It's us living in the cesspool of death when Jesus says life is right here. Life is right here. Because idol love is Jesus' hate. It just is. It boils down to that. Ironically, the last section of this passage contains two of the most important phrases in 1 John. There are people who may argue as to what the most important, and I'm not one to get into that mix, but I do know that two of the most important phrases in 1 John are found in these last few verses. Verse 13 is the one that we used earlier. It is the one that summarizes the whole book. I have written these things so that you, to you who who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a really important verse. He gives us understanding. Because of Christ, we can know who is true. When we live in a world that is full of lies, Jesus is true. A world that is consumed with error, Christ is correct. A world that is full of hate, Jesus is love, real love. A rebellious world, Jesus offers order to us. That phrase, verse 13, then we see verse 21 and how it comes alongside of that. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. The reason that God would say this is for the believing church that John preached to at Ephesus and that I preached to here and that Pickering preaches to at Brazos Point and that every other Christ-centered church in our community and world preaches to is this. We want you to be a secure people. And the more you interact with idols the less secure you will be in your faith. When you interact with idols, you just don't know. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. So here's what I want for us today. We're wrapping up 1 John. I want to pray over us. And I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. Spates family and their adopted son David Norman are going to come to the stage I would invite us to be proactive 
and ask ourselves a question like this. Am I making decisions in order for my faith to seem secure? Am I steadying myself? Am I finding footing that Jesus would give me? Am I fleeing from idols? Am I holding fast to what is true? John stood and he heard Jesus teach on the side of a mountain. And Jesus concluded his sermon with this. And John, and I would encourage us to overhear it if we are people of faith. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, and the rivers rose, and the winds blew, and pounded that house. Yet it did not collapse, because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the rivers rose. And the winds blew and pounded the house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Would we be people who build our house on the rock? Father, we, we trust you this morning and we pray that you would save lost people. But God, you would, as you do that, you would use this family of faith present in this community and to the extent of it, To be displays of, of secure people who, even in seasons of drought, trust you. Who hold on to you, who cling to you, who want to know you. Who, who find you to be the firm foundation that this passage talks about. The, the rock. We build our house on you, Jesus, the rock. We ask all this in your name. If you're not a believer in this room, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. I would love to talk to you about that. As a family of faith, we take communion as during this part of our service. If you're a believer in this space, maybe you're a guest who's visiting and you have a faith relationship with Christ, you are invited to take communion with us. If you're not a believer in Christ, I would just ask that you wouldn't come to the table. Know you're loved, know you're cared for, and I'd love to share with you why we come and get a wafer and why we drink of this juice. But if you're a believer in this space, come to the table and let's share in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus because that is where we meet with God. It's where heaven and earth meet, that Jesus would meet us there. Would you stand with me?